This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Hello and welcome to The Twilight Show. It's Saturday the 13th of January 2024. Today my special guest is Sadia Gondal. Sadia is a trainer and senior fellow at Higher Education Academy UK, among other things. And in 2023, she was selected by UNESCO as one of the 30 experts to draft their AI ethical policy in education. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to The Twilight Show, everyone. I'm Graham Stanley, speaking to you live from Mexico. As I mentioned in the introduction on today's show, I'll be talking to Sadia Gondal about artificial intelligence, and in particular, AI in relation to ethics and education. With over 18 years of experience in the field of education and training, Ms. Sadia Gondal is an essential skills development trainer focusing on interpersonal, professional, and leadership communication. In addition, she's a senior fellow at education at the Higher Education Academy UK and an associate member at the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development in the UK. Currently, she's serving as assistant professor at UAT and has taught critical thinking, academic writing and professional communication to the undergraduates, MBA and MPhil programs. Her interactive training programs are result-oriented developed after in-depth learner needs assessment and are customized with key deliverables. Over the years, she's devised her own brand of unique teaching techniques, training materials and assessment procedures. As a trainer and consultant, Sadia has worked with UNESCO, International Training Centre ILO, International Institute of Online Education, British Council, Higher Education Commission Pakistan and various educational organisations and has empowered hundreds of individuals to develop a professional persona of credibility confidence and charisma. The current evolution in the educational landscape with reference to artificial intelligence, she's working with Dr. Athar Osama, a former member of the Planning Commission, Government of Pakistan, for a pilot study on the use of generative AI at universities in Pakistan. Moreover, she's empowered several educationalists with her workshops and boot camps, excuse me, on AI tools for educational workforce. Also, in November 2023, she was selected by UNESCO as one of the 30 global AI experts to draft UNESCO's AI ethical policy in education. The report and findings are expected to be released in April 2024. Now, I'll be talking to Sadia about her work after the Teachers Talk radio news. Bet UK is just two weeks away. Are you ready to join 30,000 attendees, 600 plus exhibitors on seven content stages from 120 countries and see Louis Theroux, Dame Darcy Bustle, Jason Arday, Laurel Carner, Baroness Luella Benjamin, Dan Fitzpatrick, Mr. PICT and so much more. I might need to bring my trainers. The best part? Educators go free. Get your ticket now at uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? 
Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit EatonX.com to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Maths is in the news again, according to the BBC News website. This time, the story is about the pass rate for GCSE resits in the subject. November results show 22.9% of maths entries were marked at grade 4 or above, down from 24.9% in 2022 and 26.9% in 2019. In contrast, the pass rates for GCSE English resits rose to 40.3%, up from 38% in 2022 and 32.3% in 2019. In England, under-18s must retake the GCSE in English and Maths if they did not achieve a minimum of Grade 4. The resits for the recent November series were marked, like the summer 2023 exams, back in line with the pre-pandemic levels. Prior to the exam, some colleges reported they were having to expand class sizes and hire additional exam space to cope with rising numbers of pupils retaking the two subjects. Those sitting the subjects in November are only a subset of the total resitting, as some pupils will not take the tests until the summer. The fall in the maths pass rate comes after government announced plans to replace A-level and T-level qualifications with a new Advanced British Standard, which would include some English and maths up to the age of 18. Whilst the arrival of the new Ofsted chief made many headlines across media outlets, Schools Week focused on tech issues which prevented many inspectors from accessing training. All inspectors working in schools, FE, social care and early years were due to attend mental health awareness training led by Sir Martin Oliver, which was around 3,000 staff. However, it was announced that Ofsted had experienced some technical issues and that fewer than 1,000 inspectors were able to actually access the online sessions. Ofsted did say that a recording was available so those not able to attend would watch it back. Inspections, paused for the start of the new term, will resume on the 22nd of January. They were not paused in early years settings. Attendance is in the news again and looks set to be a key focus for all political parties as a general election approaches. In a recent speech to the Centre for Social Justice, Shadow Minister for Education Bridget Phillipson said Labour would pass a law to register and count the children taught at home, adding that it was important that local authorities know where children not in school are. Plans also included setting up more breakfast clubs. 
The current government has proposed similar in its schools bill, but this and many other aspects were abandoned at a later date. However, new attendance hubs are being launched in London to help reduce persistent absence. The DfE has chosen nine schools with excellent attendance rates to share ideas with others across England. An advertising campaign called Moments Matter Attendance Counts was also launched. Although some aspects drew criticism from some quarters, concerned that the campaign sought to minimise mental health issues. Education Secretary Gillian Keegan said, tackling attendance is my number one priority. In Wales, teachers at a high school are striking over poor behaviour of pupils and NASUWT in Wales say there are now six schools in dispute over classroom safety. Teachers in Scotland have also raised concerns about deteriorating behaviours. The TES magazine featured an article by Bill Rogers, behaviour consultant, university lecturer and author. The article focuses on possible reasons for what teachers report as deteriorating behaviours in schools and strategies to improve things. These include focusing on describing and insisting on the behaviours needed for all to learn. Also using clear, assertive language and calling pupils to account for their behaviour. The full article is available online. Finally, the BBC has run an article on the news website focusing on how children and adults can stay healthy at the start of the new term. Officially, January marks the start of the spring term, but winter bugs like norovirus and flu are likely around for several months yet. The article focuses on five top tips. Regular hand washing, regular cleaning of high contact areas, staying at home for serious illnesses such as high fever, vomiting or diarrhoea, vaccinations where necessary or applicable, and using the NHS online services to keep informed or to seek advice. Hopefully, a healthy new year will lead to a happy start to the spring term. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. And welcome back, everyone, and a warm welcome in particular to my special guest, Sadia Gondal. Thank you so much, Sadia, for joining me today. What have we been up to so far? My pleasure. Thank you very much, uh, Graham, for the invitation. I think it's a privilege to speak on this platform, and uh, I hope through this platform I would be able to create value for educators, and uh, I would be able to create their interest in AI tools. This is what I'm looking forward to. Wonderful. I'm, I'm sure that will be the case. So, Sadia, I, I usually start by asking my guests to talk about how they became teachers, how they became involved in education. So I'd love to hear from you what it was that attracted you to that this uh, area. Okay. Uh, back in my school period, when I used to be in grade four and five, um, I used to be, in fact, I still am, I was a very extrovert individual. So every time there used to be a new admission, my teacher used to tell me that, you know, this new admission is going to be looked after by you because this person is very introvert and uh, you're going to, you know, make sure that uh, he makes, he or she makes friends with others and he becomes comfortable with the school's environment. And at that moment, I used to feel very privileged that, you know, um, somebody who is in a superior position is requesting me to, you know, change somebody, to transform somebody. And that idea used to fascinate me a lot because, you know, after some time, that student who used to be, who was to, who was being mentored by me, 
He used to change completely. He or she used to become very friendly, extrovert, and an extremely good student. So, and of course, I used to get the credit for that. So that thing always fascinated me that, wow, I can change individuals. And uh, that also, uh, it also uh, made me fell in love with my teacher's appreciation and with my teacher's um, love for that. And I, I used to think that whenever I used to choose, whenever I'll go for a profession, I would definitely become a teacher because a teacher has, I think only a teacher in this world has the potential to transform any individual in the world. And I've always been in love with this idea. So that's why I pursued this profession. Wonderful. That's uh, really great to hear. And higher education in particular, what was it that attracted you to that? Oh, yes. Yes, of course. Uh, I've always, um, I mean, of course, education means training and educating young children also. But, you know, telling young children how to go by things has never fascinated me. Mm. Uh, training adult young adults and especially seniors in corporate sectors you know ever since i've joined uh, the higher education administration it has always inspired me how their ideas can be changed can be evolved because they themselves are carrying a lot of expertise a lot of wisdom so it's always a good idea to exchange that wisdom uh, to do a little bit of molding to you know if you have the confidence if you can persuade them then you know change their opinion so it's always challenging uh, teaching very young children, uh, going to nursery or kindergarten, it's not, I don't find it any challenging. I don't find it very challenging. So teaching young adults and seniors and people in corporate sector who are sitting at very high positions, that, that seems to be a very challenging idea to me. So this is why I moved on to higher education uh, administration and uh, education. Okay, of course, yeah, that makes sense. And I also would love to hear um, how you developed your interest and expertise in educational technology and in particular in, in artificial intelligence. Okay, like, like any other individual under the sky, I'm sure everyone would have, you know, felt like that they are, they have been, uh, you might say they have been uh, exposed to a magic wand, because, you know, using chat GPT is just similar to that. You just feed in the question, and there comes the answer with all the details, right? So this idea, of course, uh, it was a very fascinating idea. And the moment chat GPT was introduced to the world, like many others, I also fell in love with that. And I started exploring that, I started experimenting that. My passion grew in that when I started training my students. Uh, I'm teaching at University of Engineering and Technology, mm -hmm. and there we are teaching engineers, would-be engineers, uh, mm -hmm. from different disciplines, civil engineering, electrical engineering, uh, uh, mechatronics engineering, right, robotic engineering. So. Yeah. Uh, when I started teaching my computer engineering students, as you already have an idea, because you know this, these AI tools are, of course, linked more to the computer sciences. So when I started training my computer sciences students, um, these uh, the, the training for how to use these AI tools, they started giving me absolutely marvelous ideas. I firstly, I started with prompt engineering, how you should design your request for ChatGPT. And, you know, they started giving me absolutely wonderful ideas how to go by it, how to change the context. And also, interestingly, they introduced me to different other effective AI tools. So again, it was an exchange of information and we started working on that. And along with my experiments, I you know, involved my students into it. And this is how I grew up my passion for artificial intelligence and in education. 
Also here, I would like to mention the name of Ethan Mullick. Um, he is an associate professor at mm -hmm. the Wharton School, USA. And he became a mentor in that. I started uh, reading his research papers. Uh, he has a very uh, inquisitive and curious bent of mind when it comes to artificial intelligence. And he has worked, uh, he has worked a lot in this area in different perspectives. So this is how my interest grew into it. And uh, you know, I owe all to my students and to Ethan Malik for that. Okay, that's interesting. So before the emergence of ChatGPT and the other generative AI tools, it wasn't something that was particularly of interest to you, is that right? Or, or were you aware of uh, AI beforehand? Okay, now people considering that, you know, AI has, you know, it has jumped out of the screen or something like that, or it has, you know, it has fallen down from the sky. It's not like that. We all have been using Alex, Alexa. We all have been using Siri. And even if people are even if people are not aware of Siri and Alexa, let me just clarify that people are using Google, isn't it, for their search purposes. So ChatGPT is basically an advanced and organized version of Google. That's it. Again, if people think that they are becoming dependent on AI tools, that's incorrect because, you know, in order to get an effective response from any AI tool, you still need to have a command and competence on language as well as the context. Yes, that's one of the most interesting things for me as someone who's involved in uh, language teaching and in particular uh, language teaching technology is that these Generative AI tools are very much dependent on, as you said before, prompt engineering, the input yes. that you're able to craft um, in the language to be able to get the results. That's one of the things I think is really interesting about some of the AI art generative tools, such as Midjourney and DALI, is that um, it, it sort of turned things around, hasn't yes. it? And Bard as well, and yes, yes, yes. It's it's turned them into the fact that if you want to create wonderful art or design effects, you need to actually uh, be very good at language to be able to do so with these tools, which is very strange, very interesting. Absolutely right. And so you were talking about how you use these tools with the, your students. Could you tell us a little bit about how your students and maybe some of the other teachers and yourself are actually using them? For okay, now ChatGPT and you know, in the same way Bard and Bing, because you know in Pakistan uh, we cannot have access. We don't have access to Claude. People right. living in US also have an access to Claude. So basically, there are four LLMs currently working: Claude, Bing, Bard, and ChatGPT. There'll be many more, uh, many more advanced versions, but currently people are using these four only. Right. So uh, basically, what ChatGPT and these AI tools they are very efficient and in doing one thing is that they generate idea for you. So firstly, I told my students that you need to use this tool as an idea generator because most of us are extremely brilliant individuals. But when it comes to bring out an absolutely wonderful idea, we are sometimes shaky, uh, sometimes we are doubtful, and sometimes uh, we lack the exact nuance of the language. So what I tell my students is how, how, how I have been using this uh, tool in my classes, I teach communication skills and presentation skills and business writing. So whenever, uh, what I started doing is, firstly, I tell them what should be the format of a particular topic, for example, if I'm teaching them email writing, uh, 
I tell them ke, I, I tell them that this is how the format should be, right? This is how the structure should be. And uh, you know, this is how much the length of the email should be, right? And then I tell them that there are four areas you need to design a better email on. What they do first is they write their email roughly. That is, they make the first draft in a, um, in a rough form. And then I tell them, you need to rewrite or you need to insert all what you have written on the paper on through you need to you're, you're going to put it back again on chat gpt and you're going to ask chat gpt to make some changes to it so what they do is chat what they are doing is they are using chat gpt for polishing their language for making their narrative more professional because this is the area where most of us lack information about because we know how to use language but we don't know how to rephrase things for a more professional level so and next thing what they're doing is uh, they're they're using ai tools for generating their presentation slides most of the times we face this problem that whenever we are designing our presentation slides we aesthetically they are not that pleasant so applications like gamma.app slides ai.com they help my students to design aesthetically pleasing slides they write the content themselves but then these slides are generated in few seconds and this helps them to to undertake much better much better tasks or to you know to study other things which are far more imp important than designing the slides because you know there would come a time in fact you know that time has it has started revealing on us that you know people have started uh, using these ai tools for designing their presentation slides they are working on the content which which is of course more important than designing the slides i am not disagreeing with the fact that your presentation slides should not be very aesthetically pleasing but yes you know it requires a lot of time and plus you need to be very uh, you need to have a very good aesthetic sense for that so i think that burden has been taken over from the students and now they are working on more productive areas rather than just colors and designs and contrasts um, apart from that idea generation apart from presentation slide designing they are also working upon how to make uh, you might say how to make better proposals how to make better projects most of the times they are given an assignment so what they do is they they make better they can come up with better ideas of the projects from their assignments as my students uh, I, I experimented with computer engineering students so they are more into coding so these ai tools are helping them to come up with better coding tasks so these are all those areas my students are working in Wow, that's very interesting to hear. And what about the other teachers um, at the places where you work? Uh, how have they sort of reacted to the emergence of these AI tools? And are they comfortable with um, using them or letting the uh, students use them in the same way that you are? Okay, interestingly, uh, there's a very, uh, I must say, there's a surprising fact I would like to share with you over here. There was a survey conducted in US when there was when you know chat GPT started uh, uh, you know it, chat, it started its evolution in people's life so there was a survey conducted with US teachers and they voted that you know 85% of those teachers voted that they are against these AI tools and above all 95% of the teachers, they said that they don't know how to use these AI tools so that's a surprising fact these AI tools are being generated from a place where people a they, they themselves don't have any awareness about them and b 
they are not agreeing to the usage of these tools. So if US can behave in that manner, if an educator from US can behave in that manner, you can think about how a how an educator in a less developing country would behave. So same was the case over here. In my university, even though I was teaching computer science students, you would be surprised to know that computer science teachers were against using ChatGPT or any other AI model or tool. When I started working on this area, when my students told me that they're being discouraged to use AI tools, I, you know, so I started talking to the faculty of computer sciences and I made them realize that sooner or later, AI tools are going to overpower us. So you cannot, you cannot divorce this fact that you know, you cannot hide your students from using ChatGPT or any other AI tool because the crux of the story is, even if you're going to tell them not to use it, they'll be using it secretly. So what's the point? What we need to teach our students is, we need to tell them that you need to use these tools ethically and openly and in a transparent manner. So if you're going to tell your student very, very strictly that you're not going to use those tools, they are definitely going to use it. There's no chance about it because you know, it's, it's, just, like, it's just like an open platform available to them, uh, which, is, which is very, very, you might say, which is very attractive for them. Right. And so they cannot uh, ignore this idea that we can take help from it. Right. Because this is the most easiest source of plagiarism. So at maximum, what we can do is we need to change our mindset as educator. Firstly, we need to accept this idea that AI is here to to you know to show its supremacy and we need to accept that supremacy. There's no harm in that. Yes, what we can do at the maximum is we can change our mindset towards it. We can uh, conduct more trainings toward it. We can learn how to face it rather than you know hiding from it or rather than going away from it. Okay, so in my university, uh, just like any other university, the teachers were vehemently against it. But what we did was me and some of my friends who were, you know, who were in favor of this idea that students should be using AI tools and even teachers should be using AI tools. We started a campaign for it and we started, uh, you know, building awareness on this area and people changed. And, uh, you know, there was once a time when ChatGPT and BARD and Bing was banned in our university. And then that ban was lifted. And as a community, we were able to do that because, you know, we were able to convince our higher authorities that AI is there to be welcomed and embraced, not to be, you know, not to hide from it. That's interesting. So your, um, was it a challenge to get the ban overturned at the university or did, did you find that it was quite easy with the arguments that they were very convincing? No, it was definitely challenging because the higher authorities were of the view, as I told you earlier, they were thinking that AI tools are helping the students to become better cheaters, not thinkers. Right. Right. Yes. So we, 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 so what we did was we gave them evidences. We provided them different, we provided them with different, you know, incidents. We provided them with different uh, experiments that we had conducted with our students that had made them better thinkers. And this is what we have been preaching. Um, my community, my friends, my group of friends are treating, are treating AI as a friend, as a facilitator not somebody who's telling you how to cheat. Again, I believe, I firmly believe in this. We need to train our students in this area that AI, AI, AI tools are your friends, but you don't need to hide from your teacher that you're using them. 
because if you're going to train them in this area that you know you 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 are not allowed to use the ai tools but you can hide it from your teacher or something like that again you're making them corrupt individuals you're polluting their minds further so we don't need to do that so this is the area we all need to think upon because if we are not uh, welcoming our students if we are not telling our students to use it freely but you need to have some you know policies for that that's important unfortunately uh, universities and schools do not have policies for that so what we can do is uh, we design and the most important policy we require right now is policies for assessments Yes. Like, you know, if somebody if somebody has copied a material from an AI tool, there's no harm in giving credit to that AI tool. And again, how much, how much, again, we need to give the, our students, we need to give our students this freedom that fine, you can go ahead and explore AI, but please make sure that whatever you're copying has to be paraphrased in your own words. I'll share, I'll share a very interesting incident with you. One of my computer science students, uh, because you know computer science students are very passionate about using AI tools. So one of my very brilliant students, what he did was he started using AI for every task, for every project. Consequently, he became a parasite. How? Because when he was asked to take the paper when you know there was uh, when, he, when he took his papers final papers he told me that miss i really enjoyed using artificial intelligence but once when i was asked to you know take a particular paper i went blank because i had become so much of an addict with that with those tools that i was unable to think now this is something this is something really uh, you, you might say eye opening right uh, so what we need to tell our students is this is your limit the problem is teachers think that students just go there and they write down their query and they get the answers now we need to train our students that you don't need to tell ChatGPT to give you the exact answer what you can do is tell ChatGPT that don't give me the exact answer firstly check my answer rate my answer point out the mistakes I'm going to correct the mistakes myself and you be my mentor. This is the training we need to put into our children's mind, put into our students' mind. So this is right. how we should be working on it. There are ways to work on that. This is what I'm talking about. So again, the danger is there. Students are definitely becoming parasites because of these, because of the usage of these AI tools. But we need to guide them how to use those AI tools. And this is where the educators lack training and information. So it's almost as if we, you're, you're putting forward that what is needed is a kind of critical use of these tools to help to almost so that they become AI assistants rather than uh, students um, and people relying upon them to produce finished products, yeah. basically, which I think is exactly. interesting. Exactly. And uh, ChatGPT has, in ChatGPT, uh, ChatGPT 4. Point, in fact, uh, this year, uh, ChatGPT has worked on that and it has given the facility of making your own ChatGPTs. And the, the plus point of those chat GPTs uh, is your personal chat GPT is that you can provide your information in it, your, your required information into it, and you can teach and you can train the students on your personal chat GPTs. So that's mm. going to be a very helpful area. But the problem with that uh, experiment is that those chat GPTs can only be used if, you are, if, you, if you're using chat GPT Pro version, which is $20 yes. per month. 
So in US and UK, it might be very easy for any person, for every other person to you know, grab that opportunity. But here in developing countries, $1.20 is a big amount, unfortunately. So here, here, the educators and the students would be facing a digital divide. And mm. it's going to be a huge digital divide between the West, between the developed and the developing countries. So this is also we we need to look into it. So I think the the government and uh, the educators and the policymakers need to work on that. That if we are introducing these kind of applications, they should be free for everyone, or at least there should be a uniform policy, because otherwise there is going to be a huge rift between haves and have-nots in this education field also. That's an interesting point you raise, I think. Um, I'm not sure it, it, it's going to be possible to stop that from happening um, to, to a great extent, really, is it? The, this, the, the, I mean, the talk about this, um, the, the amount, the dollar, the, the dollar amount that you talked about? No, Sorry? The, the digital divide. I think, I think it'll probably yes. get to a... They'll, what I think is, is, is quite interesting is that some, at least there is a free version as well. So although you say that the kind of more powerful version that allows you to create your own uh, personalized versions of uh, ChatGPT, um, you need to pay for that. But I think at least yes. there is a kind of free version that everybody does have access to it, which is is a good thing. Yeah, we do have a free version, uh, but the problem with that free version is that it does not provide you that quality information. And also that free version, uh, version's information is limited till 2021, right? right. So okay. that's the problem with that free version. And uh, Graham, I would also like to share a very painful uh, point over here. Mm -hmm. uh, in West might be, um, I don't know, um, you would be a better person to guide me in that regard, um, that the quality of education in public and private institution might be the same. But here in Pakistan or in any developing country, students studying in public funded uh, institutions uh, they lack a lot of resources. They are already in a very, uh, I might say, in a very pathetic condition. So mm -hmm. with this digital divide, the thing that hurts me a lot, or in fact that haunts me, is how a student from a public-funded institution is going to compete with a private institution student because already there's a huge rift in Pakistan about it. So again, it's going to be the education system would be all about education for the elites and for the non-elites. Yes. So that's, that's a far more disturbing point that we need to look into. And uh, this is the thing that AI is actually promoting. And we can't do anything about it because mm -hmm. again, um, you know, things would be things would be getting better with passage of time. But I don't know how much time it's going to take, because uh, in uh, less developing countries or in you know uh, in uh, countries like you know um, like Pakistan, we take a lot of time to take decisions and then to implement them. Here in Pakistan, educational system is already a rotten one. So I don't know how how much more it's going to go to, or how how far how far um, deteriorating it's going to get. But but that's really something problematic. That's really something haunting. That's a that's a haunting um, idea that comes to my mind. Yes, I think um, what you're saying is is much wider, much bigger picture than than just the mm. use of AI. I think this digital divide exactly. has been something that has emerged, and what I think. I think what what you're seeing is 
uh, it's not only there's a difference between developing and developed countries, but even within mm-hmm. those countries, there are some people that have sort of access and other people who don't uh, have access. I think yeah. it's it's almost getting to the point where <clears throat> connectivity, for example, is starting to become as important to ensure as um, as other basic amenities not quite but uh it is the case in a lot of places that without connectivity then you're condemning a lot of uh students in particular who are at school uh public schools for example um to a kind of less privileged and less uh fewer opportunities really one one of the things i think is really interesting is in countries that i know of which have been able to uh look at this and try to change. I'm thinking here of Uruguay, which I know very well, Mm -hmm. um, where you have access to devices given to all students from lower primary upwards, uh, to all students and teachers across the whole country. They have a free access to a free laptop or tablet and a public internet in all the schools. And they have gone a long way to, to try and show a way of bridging the um, the digital divide. So I think that's a good model. Obviously, it's it's just one country that I know, and in most of the other countries, if not all of them that um, I'm aware of, right. at least, there is this sort of division, this digital divide. Yes, Graham, you know, I would endorse this idea. But, you know, firstly, what I would like to talk about over here is it's not about the laptops. It's not about mm. it's not it's not only about the Internet facility also, Graham. Mm. Uh, the, the area that we need to look into is even if we get the laptops and the mobile phones and the Internet facility, the Internet facility over here in the developing countries is not of that standard. Mm-hmm. Here in developed countries, people are using 5G now. And here in developing countries, we are facing electricity issues, electricity breakdowns, right? And uh, uh, most of the times we do not have internet facility at most of the areas, right? So I think this uh, this divide can only be filled if the international community join their hands to uplift these developing countries. I think they can only, uh, it can only be filled through their help because uh, developing countries, um, they do not have that funds, they do not have that budget to look into these areas. So I think if international community join hands to help us out, that would be a great blessing. Yes, no, I, I, I agree. I think a lot needs to be done in that area uh, to provide more sort of equitable access to uh, educational opportunities really not only in the internet, but others as well. Um, Sadia, just to bring the conversation back to AI, I think I would love to hear more about your work with UNESCO. And it must have been very exciting that they chose you out of 30 people across the world to contribute to developing the policy um, on ethical considerations when deploying AI in academic environments. Is that the case? Yes, that, that's the case. Basically, thank you very much for the compliment, by the way. Uh, so what they did was they actually circulated a call for participation. Mm-hmm. And they asked uh, everyone to, you know, uh, 
send their reviews and answers and opinions on particular questions, specific questions that they have generated. And then they chose the participants based on the quality responses. So I was one of those 30, uh, I must say, fully funded participants who actually went there. So I actually won that scholarship. So uh, what we did over there was we actually talked about policy making in three areas in, edu in um, policy making for educators, policy making for students and policy making for universities. So, of course, it's uh, we're still working on that because, you know, we were not able to reach on a consensus because, you know, all these things that I've just discussed with you, uh, they were discussed over there also. Mm -hmm. One more issue over there was, uh, you know, out of so many issues that we talked about, um, it was also about ethical uh, you know, might say ethical usage of AI that mm. we need to look into. So there is no such policy for that. So what we can do is, uh, firstly, we need to devise an ethical policy for AI usage in universities, for educators, for students, in all these areas, right? So there should be a consensus on that. Um, and every university and what we uh, what we decided over there in that uh, conference was we decided on this idea that every university and every state has to decide the policy on their own um, with their own benefits and with their own motives because you know we cannot be assured how much they can be open to the policies that you know we are going to devise for them so we uh, generated this idea we forwarded this uh, solution to them that every university every state should generate their own ethical principle of using ai uh, tools and then we also talked about uh, equity for all in education and uh, of course, providing quality and affordable AI technologies. You know, I just talked to you about mm -hmm. uh, ChatGPT Pro, which is for $20 per month, and you know, less developing countries are not being able to utilize it properly. Mm -hmm. There are so many tools, just like ChatGPT4, that are being that are very expensive, and we don't have any access to that. So we talked about that there should be an equity uh, about you know you about uh, producing those tools, and of course, if you know if you we cannot get those tools into internationally, what we can do is there should be um, local communities, there should be local organizations, we should be building up AI clinics, we should be building um, AI communities for that so that, you know, we can get those tools at a far cheaper price and locally. So that was a good idea that we all, uh, you know, all uh, we all agreed on that idea that yes, that's that's a far more feasible idea than begging um, the you know the uh, the makers of this application to you know to bring it to bring it out at a cheaper price. And then we also talked about uh, quality and inclusive uh, developing quality and inclusive data systems. That's also important. Uh, we need to work upon uh, how the data collection should be done. Um, you know, privacy factor is very important. Our data is being fed in all these AI tools. And with our personal information, these AI tools are being polished, right? So we need to work on this area that, you know, there should be there should be a policy for that. There should be a consent on this on this on this agenda on this point that, you know, AI tools should not be using our information for that. But you know, um, Again, the problem is every AI tool is a machine learning model. So uh, I believe, I personally believe that if that machine learning model is not going to be trained by your responses, who else is going to do that? Mm -hmm. So I think it's a give and take. If you want to enjoy 
the privilege of an of of an easy of an easy life, right? If you want to enjoy the privilege of, uh, um, you might say, um, easy access to all those tools, then I, I think you need to bargain your uh, personal information for that. And they and I think everybody should be open to it. If you want to enjoy some perks, you need to give give something to the organizer for that, to the to the maker for that. And there's no harm in that. But um, a lot of people say that a lot of people are against this idea. And then we also talked about um, international community supporting this development and adoption of AI solutions. Mm -hmm. uh, because again, um, if uh, if international community is going to look into these areas, uh, which are especially being suffered in developing by the developing countries, only then we'll be able to propel. Otherwise, you know, we'll be left behind. And uh, one very interesting um, thing that was discussed over there was that we suggested USA and UK that, you know, um, we know that as developing countries, we cannot uh, we cannot come up to your expectations or we cannot beat you. So we actually suggested to them that why don't you make these developing countries your hub of experiments of AI tools? So because, you know, we have a huge population, talk about India, mm -hmm. talk about Bangladesh, we have a huge population data. So it would be a good idea if you're going to experiment with these AI tools and if you're going to give us those beta tools to us or if you're going to provide these tools to us at economical rate so that, you know, we'll be able to give you a better quality assurance. So you can make us, you can make our countries, these less developing countries as, you know, as places where you can experiment with the quality of these tools. And you would not be requiring any kind of quality assurance department for that. <laughs> so these are some of the things that we discussed there and we just added to the policy. Oh, that's really interesting. That's a, an, um, an interesting uh, suggestion, actually. How far has that got? Have, has that been taken on board yet or is it still in the negotiation phase? It's still in the negotiation stage because, you know, again, these pol the problem with these policies are that, you know, um, there are, of course, there are a lot of limitations, again, mm -hmm. when you talk about implementing them. Again, it differs from state to state, from uh, university to university, from institution to institution. So what we can do at maximum is we can give solutions. But of course, the implementation and, you know, thinking on those areas, it all depends on the bureaucratic side. What bureaucracy thinks, what politicians think, and how how, uh, you know, people leading your institutions think how far they are thinking that you need those tools. Because again, even in USA right now, not many people are aware of how to use these AI tools. So you and they are very much particular about this concern that you that their personal information is being played upon. So you can't convince them. So again, th there are a lot of issues, you have to change the mindset of the people, it's going to take a lot of time for that. So this is again, it's in, it's in the paper. So let's see when it's going to be implemented. Because again, in policies, we are there just to give solutions and suggestions. Um, and again, it depends upon the country and the state, how far they want to absorb them. Right. And the policy will be out, I think, in April. Is that right? Yes, yes in April. Great. And so how do you feel, or and in particular, how did everybody feel about this idea of, you talked about consent for training these models for ChatGPT and, and the other AI 
art generation, generative uh, tools as well. There's a lot of kind of challenges going on at the moment from um, authors of books, for example. Uh, yes, people. Yes, people have started writing a lot of books. Yes, you're absolutely right. But again, the point is, um, what I believe is, uh, there would be a time when again we would be devising better AI detectors, right? So again, people who are enjoying this privilege of getting their books published, of course, they would be caught, right, sooner or later. So uh, there's nothing to be scared about it, or there's nothing to be, you know, envious about it, because you know, soon AI detectors would be there, and we'll be able to identify those, uh, you might say, corrupt elements. But I, I believe that, you know, if people are enjoying this situation, um, I, I'm a kind of person who believe in, um, you know, freedom of people's choice, freedom of people's thought. So I, I, I'm a very firm believer of that, that we should not restrict anybody not to use it. So if they are using it uh, for their benefit and, you know, if they are, you know, enjoying something out of it, if they are, uh, you know, enjoying this idea that they are designing a book out of it, I think this motivation is enough for them to work on that. Because again, if you want to write a book, you need to, again, design a prompt for that. You'll need to sit back for at least, you know, for example, if you were writing a book in literal manner in the previous days uh, when ChatGPT was not there or when AI tools were not there, you used to take months, right? But you can't say that, you know, you are not going to take days right now. Even right now, you're going to take some days to sit back and to understand and to make sure that things are being written in the correct manner, right? So again, the effort is there, but yes, uh, the time that you used to put in that effort earlier has been reduced, of course. But I think, you know, it again, it's an evolutionary change that we need to embrace. Time and calculator, uh, when we started using calculator, people started thinking that, you know, mathematics is, you know, or calculations would be dead, some or the other. But it's not like that. People still do calculations, right? It's still a very beloved action. It's still a very beloved habit of so many people. So I think uh, if people are enjoying this moment, it's something temporary. It's not permanent. Unfortunately, AI detectors have not been effective uh, up till now. So that's why, you know, students are enjoying doing plagiarism and stuff. But sooner or later, you know, they'd be there and uh, everything would be out. Yes, it's not really plagiarism. I think I've heard the argument go because plagiarism, it's not really plagiarism as we know it. It's a different kind of thing, isn't it? Yes, I would say. Uh, again, it is a different kind of thing, quote unquote, when you tell your students that you have the liberty to use it. But when you're going to tell your student very specifically that you're not allowed to use it, or I'm going to give you a negative grade for using AI, or I'm a very smart teacher, I'm going to guess if you have used the AI or not, and I'm going to give you a negative grading on that, then that's just going to create mess. So again, we need to train our students how to go by it. As teachers, as AI tools users, we, use, we, use, we need to define policies for that, for our class, for our subject. And this is what we are doing as community, as AI uh, development and training consultant. We are telling teachers how to design their own policies for using AI tools in their classes. So just give them the freedom of usage and tell them, uh, there was, uh, we have just, um, I just came across this assessment tool in which one of the teachers have designed this kind of rubric in which, you know, uh, it was clearly stated that, you know, if you have used uh, AI, uh, you can, you need to uh, credit AI for that in your assignment that I've used AI for this portion. Or if you haven't used AI, just say I haven't used AI completely. And, but the fact is that teachers need to trust their students for that. 
if there's going to be a trust deficit, it's again going to be chaotic. So we that the only thing we can do right now is trust your students, trust your ability in designing um, your curriculum. Because again, all of us are talking about negative uh, usage of AI tools, but none of us is thinking about this area that, that I'm very passionate about. You know, I started my talk on this idea that I used to be an extrovert individual and, and I, I like uh, to see transformation in people, right? So uh, this, this AI tool, this usage of AI tools has given educators freedom to use their time for dealing with different psychological issues their students are facing. When ChatGPT was exposed to the world, 1% of US students, they started thinking that ChatGPT is just like their parent. And they started discussing their personal problematic questions with that oh, tool. Really? Yes. And, and I was reading that research, and it was a very interesting research. And it also stated that those students, when they, because, you know, ChatGPT, earlier, ChatGPT wasn't a very advanced form of tool. You know that. So, mm -hmm. you know, later we worked on it and we, you know, made some changes to it. Earlier, it was very rough. So whatever we used to ask from ChatGPT, uh, whatever kind of inappropriate question we used to pose it, pose it to that ChatGPT, it used to give us the response, right? So students were asking some very depressing questions from ChatGPT. And, um, you know, uh, I would say 1% of the time, ChatGPT told them to commit suicide. Oh, really? And yes, and those students, they asked ChatGPT how to do that. And because ChatGPT wasn't trained not to convey that inappropriate mm. or abusive information to the students, ChatGPT did that. ChatGPT told the way how to commit suicide. And there were cases registered in USA, which, you know, which, which said that, yes, children committed suicide in that period. It wasn't a very big number because, you know, it was taken care of afterwards. But yes, they, they, there was a number, right? So again, ChatGPT or any other AI tool would never be able to replicate the empathy, this sympathetic feeling. Mm -hmm. or the feeling a parent can put into a, 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 or or the feelings that a parent can feel for the student or for the child right so again uh, we are working on these ai tools to become more independent but that's going to take some time so what ChatGPT or these ai tools has given us in the form of plus is that uh, you know our work has reduced um, you know now we can do our work in a much lesser time so that time can be used for teaching our students or for getting in touch with our students for their psychological issues. There's a, there's a lot of depression around us. There's a lot of anxiety around us. There's a lot of behavioral issues our students are facing. And as educators, as counselors, we need to look into it. And I'm so glad that now I have the time to look into these areas because once these AI tools were not there, I wasn't able to give my students and my kids proper time. But now I have ample time. I won't say ample, that's an exaggerated uh, term, I must say. But now I have enough time to look into these psychological issues of my students. I want to see them transform into a much better, um, successful community service worker rather mm -hmm. than a computer science student. I want to see them as a successful individual, an individual who's happy with his or her life. That's more important for me as an educator to think upon when I look at my students. That's what I feel pride in. Right. 
Interesting. And what I think is quite interesting at the moment, uh, and I'd love to hear what you think about it, is this idea of different aspects of ChatGPT being used in ways that were perhaps not thought of before. One of the ones that I have come across that I'm particularly interested in is the idea of, of ChatGPT, for example, becoming almost like a conversational language partner. So what you were talking about students asking personal questions to ChatGPT, but actually when it comes to practicing a second language, for example, you can use ChatGPT now with audio to have a conversation partner, which is quite interesting. And then the other aspects that I think I can see develop being developed for education, in particular for universities, is this idea of ChatGPT or other generative AI uh, large language models being used to be able to provide differentiation for students, to actually provide some differentiation within classes to help them progress academically. What do you think about those two things or, or other aspects of this use of large language models? Yes, I would agree to this fact that, you know, because of these AI tools, our students have uh, this have, you know, have, uh, they have been provided this facility of digital customized knowledge, digital personalized knowledge. That's the beauty of AI, I must say. And this is why I've been such an ardent advocate of using AI tools. So, um, you know, because, you know, every student in a class is different and they have different abilities. Some are very quick learners, some are slow learners. Uh, some have different uh, definitions in their mind for a particular concept. Uh, some like creative definitions, some like very bookish definitions. So everybody has their own understanding of learning different things. Mm -hmm. So this chat GPT has you know, given me this benefit that every student can go out and type you know, type the kind of information they want, and they would be catered to that information. So this is what you call digital personalized knowledge. So that, that's the best part of uh, AI tools, uh, positivity that we are coming across uh, nowadays. Because again, uh, when ChatGPT was introduced to the world, it wasn't very trained about answering in a very um, cautious manner. But now uh, they have started working on that. And now ChatGPT is giving some very effective answers to every individual. Yes, uh, and, it's very interesting, isn't it? Yes, and uh, talking about uh, these, um, uh, the digital personalized teaching and the tools that you talked about. Uh, for example, you know, there, there's, there are so many tools. For example, there's a tool, Speechify. It's a mm -hmm. generative AI tool and it, you know, uh, converts text to speech or speech to text conversions. And it's very helpful for uh, students with learning disabilities. And then there are autistic students, right, uh, who need a lot of attention. So I think these AI tools um, have, you know, have made all this thing very easy, as easy as, easy as, as it can be, right? So we, can, we are able to help those students in a far better manner. And I would also like to share one example with you, which have forced me to fall in love with AI tools is earlier when I used to teach my students because I teach them communication skills and ESP English for specific purposes and English for mm -hmm. academic purposes and uh, because my most of my students are as I told you earlier they are would-be engineers so the problem I used to face with them was whenever I used to teach them a topic for example paraphrasing or summarizing or any mm -hmm. grammar um, uh, you might say grammar idea they used to be very much disinterested in that why because every example of paraphrasing or summarizing or, you know, uh, or any other, you know, language tool that's available there on the internet 
more examples are, are found from the business area, right? So when I used to teach them paraphrasing and summary by taking those examples and case studies from MBAs and business side, they never used to be interested in that because again, they are never going to talk about those ideas with the jargon and with the knowledge of business students. So I always used to face this problem that I never used to, I was never, I, most of the times I was never able to engage them. Now, when chat GPT was introduced and I had that magic wand, what I used to do was, it's very simple. I take that case study, I put it in chat GPT and I tell them that, you know, my students are 18 year old, 19 year old chemical engineering students. And I want you to convert this case study into a chemical engineering student case study. And wow and behold, you know, I it, it, just, it just gives me the case study and the beauty of it is, uh, and of course, I add that I want you to put in technical. I want you. To, I want you to put in jargon of chemical engineering student. So it it has helped me to engage my students because when I give them anything that is related to their discipline, they are more interested in that. Of course. So that's another plus of AI tools. Yeah, it can be used in so many different ways for by teachers to be able to generate example text, for example, like you've just said, can't it? Which is a a real plus and a, a real time saver for teachers i think absolutely right and graham you know uh, uh, what i think is let's forget about this time saving part the uh, the thing that actually uh, you know motivates me in this area is you know students are engaged right 90 mm. percent of the students are engaged and that's that's the achievement that we are making in this regard. So, and I love it when students ask me questions, when I post them, uh, when I give them articles and, you know, when I give them um, paragraphs and passages related to their domain, I, I can see the spark in their eyes. And that makes me more excited about teaching. Of course, of course. And how do you think this is going to develop, Sadia? What about the future of, of, of this? In what ways do you think or hope it's going to develop? Okay, uh, well, because I'm an ardent follower and an ardent advocate of uh, using AI tools, I think the future is bright. Uh, but how uh, we see it in the future is, uh, I cannot, you know, claim that it's going to be a very bright future because, uh, of course, uh, uh, the dangers are associated. Uh, of course, we cannot deny them with these AI tools. And, you know, it seems like, you know, they are going to overpower us. But what practically, uh, what practical uh, things are being done in this area, I can talk about that. Mm -hmm. uh, UNESCO has just launched a project called Artificial Intelligence and the Futures of Learning. And in this project, they are working upon three independent but uh, complementary strands. Um, that is, number one is AI and the future of learning. Second is guidance for generative AI in education and research. And the third is AI competency frameworks for teachers and students. So uh, this, this project is going to take some time, of course, but it's going to address both the short-term and long-term implications of AI in education. So uh, let's see how it unfolds and how much effective is it going to be. But this is what practically it's being done in AI education. And what else do I see in the future? Yes, I see a lot of transformation in AR and VR technology. Metaverse would become the second name for education and uh, people would be learning through simulations and uh, you know uh, in future and virtual classes virtual classes would become more common 
and uh, people would be able to experience a lot of uh, things that they wouldn't have even thought about. So I think uh, education would become more accessible, more easier. Uh, but yes, <laughs> how economical, that's we need to think about. Because, you know, when we talk about AR and VR in education, um, you must know about it that, you know, they are the gadgets associated with AR and VR, they're very expensive. So uh, they are they are not being used in again developing countries. Developed countries are using them, uh, using them. But we you know we are still um, we have just seen the pictures on the internet. We haven't used them still. So there's going to be a lot of transformation in that area. So this is what I'm looking forward to. That's interesting that you mentioned the metaverse and and VR in particular. Um, I'm a, I'm a fan of VR personally. I'm I have a VR headset and use wow. it, but. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, I play games on it, and I also have started using it to exercise, and I find it fantastic that I can do that whenever I want for a short period of time without having to, to go out of the house, basically, which is a benefit for me. Okay, but but Graham, I suppose uh, one uh, one problematic area with these VR gadgets is, you know, when we are teaching them to students, I think everyone ought to have one. So I think mm. that's going to be quite expensive idea so i don't know whether you use it this way or not i mean are you using it with your students how is your experience have you used it no. with your students no and i don't recommend it and i don't see it as being part of education which is why okay. i was interested why in what so? you were saying well the why first thing so? is is that the headsets are quite uncomfortable um not only from a point of view of your disorientation after you've worn it um and you're looking uh, at the images um but also it, it actually hurts your head after a while and so i don't see it as being something that is sustainable for long periods of time um after about 10 15 maximum 20 minutes i need to take a break so that's the first thing yeah. and then the okay. other thing is that i am still a strong believer that uh, the best type of learning happens when people get together um and either they get, they get together uh, physically in the same space, which for me is still ideal, even though I'm a, a big fan of online learning or online learning that takes place um, that is interesting together as well. And I don't see people putting on these headsets to do that, to be honest, just from the point of view of, as I said before, the longer you wear these headsets, the more uncomfortable it is. You can't, it's not sustainable for more than about 20 minutes, which it doesn't lend itself well to education, really. And then the expense, of course, as well. So I definitely not at the moment. If, if the technology changes so they become sort of lighter and more hybrid, I think it's possible. But even so, I think it will exclude a lot of people. Okay, um, and also, right. And also with nanotechnology around and the improvement in nanotechnology nowadays, I think we'll be just landing over to, or we'll be just, you know, using uh, chips or microchips, right? So we won't be using these head headsets also. <laughs> well, don't, I don't know. Uh, the jury's out. I don't know whether uh, that will come before AIs make, make us redundant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So what, what will come first? I don't know. But to go back to what you were saying before, I think augmented reality, AR, is quite interesting. I think that's where more than virtual reality, which is immersive with the headsets, et cetera, if, if that's what you mean by VR. And that's for me, that's, that's what VR is. Um, but augmented reality, where you kind of have a, diff, a, 
a layer on top of uh, your the reality, reality, if you like, you get in extra information, which comes either from glasses or whatever you manage to have. I think that has more of a future for education than VR. Yes. And uh, talking about AR and VR, you know, I'm sure most of the people would be going against this idea. But again, it has its own pluses also. Like, for example, AR and VR technology can be very beneficial in uh, practical courses. For example, doctors will be able to experiment with all with all those patients, you know, mm-hmm. in a virtual world. And once they'll be stepping into the real world, they'll be making less damages. So I think that's one of the plus part also of uh, this AR and VR technology. But yes, it has its benefits. It, it has its disadvantages also. I agree to that. What about other things that AI is likely to disrupt? Um, for example, there's a lot of sort of fear of jobs being taken over, like a lot of jobs becoming redundant in the future. How do you feel about that? Do you think that is a, a realistic fear that people have or are people becoming scaremongers basically because of it okay let me give you a good news from we are saved educators will not be <laughs> <in war. laughs> educators would not be they will not be leaving their jobs right so their jobs are not in danger so let's be glad about it and i'm not so not sure yeah, let's not be selfish about others others professions also. So let's be realistic about it. Well, you know, the jobs, uh, this is again something, uh, a very funny fear that people are going through, right? Uh-huh. Let me tell you, the jobs that are going to be changed are those that are mechanical jobs. For example, mm-hmm. cashier, teller, right? These kind of jobs. Um, uh, data data analyst, not data analyst, sorry, uh, uh, data uh, data entry, data entry operator, right? These kind of jobs yeah. in which you just have to enter the data and that's it, right? So these kind of jobs or, or personal secretary, because, you know, now you'll have your AI again, um, you're, you'll have a personal assistant in the form of ChatGPT, which can organize your uh, schedules and appointments and stuff. So you would not be requiring mm-hmm. any secretaries for that. So these kind of jobs would are definitely in trouble. But, you know, um, the jobs that still require critical thinking, and I think every job requires that in some or the other manner, because, you know, uh, these chat GPTs and these AI tools, again, are being designed by human beings again. But yes, there is going to be a transformation in the choices of, I must say, professions. For example, data analyst is going to become more common than an MBA, right? And mm-hmm. Or an engineer, I must say. Um, what else? Software engineers would become more in demand. Um, artificial intelligence analysts they would become more in demand. Mm -hmm. Artificial intelligence security providers, cyber analysts. Now, these are the jobs that are going to crop up. So the dimension of the jobs are going to change. But let's not say that, you know, uh, that chat GPT or AI or any other tool is going to devour uh, some jobs. The jobs that are, we to- that are talking, that are being talked about are very basic menial jobs, right? Mm-hmm. Technical jobs are going to stay there. Yeah. I, I don't know if you've had any experience of, um, personal experience of people's jobs being replaced by AI. I definitely have. I've heard of the partner of a colleague of mine has mentioned that graphic designers, for example, there were three graphic designers that were used by this educational publishing company and they stopped using them and instead they employed a prompt engineer to be able to Uh, do the work of graphic designers. Exactly. So this is what I'm talking about, Graham. Prompt engineer, again, has to be an effective communicator, right? Because in order to generate an effective response, Mm -hmm. you need to be good at the language and the technical aspect also. So again, the jobs will become competitive 
But let's not say that, you know, you are not going to be replaced. You're going to be replaced just because of AI. You need to, you need to, you might say you need to be, you need to become uh, more professionally. Uh, what I must say, you need to change yourself professionally or you need to upgrade yourself. That's what's mm -hmm. required. Yes. Yes. There's been a lot of talk within the area that I'm most in, involved in, language education. Is people are worried that because the ability to translate Lang between languages um, is becoming more and more easier as time goes on, that perhaps there won't be as much of a demand for learning languages, which I think is true. I don't think it'll disappear, but I definitely think that uh, if people have access to instant translation in real time through various devices, etc., I think uh, there'll be less of a demand to learn a language. Yes, that would be, but I think it's going to take a lot of time. It's not going to be a very quick transformation because we are still working on, there are so many nuances we are still working upon when we talk mm -hmm. about artificial intelligence tools. So I think it's going to take a very long time still. So right now, uh, I, I don't see that future coming very quick. So let's see when it takes place. But yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, learning languages is going to become quite archaic, redundant, mm -hmm. right? And definitely there's there's a chance of that. Yeah. I mean, it's funny in the debates that I've seen people have uh, online about this, there's there's always been a strong argument said, well, okay, for, for kind of transactional language uh, communication, that will definitely be the case. If someone needs language to communicate, uh, to go on holiday for tourism or for, for the basics for business, then it's likely uh, that aspect of language learning is likely to disappear but when it comes down to actually communication between people if what you want is actually real human communication then you're never going to be able to re replicate replicate that with ai exactly the point we i was just you know i just came across um, uh, the uh, an ai tool that you know it's being worked upon it's mm. one of the tools that you know when you wear it it's kind of an airport or something and they're working on that so when you wear that, any person who's going to talk in any language is going to be translated. Uh, I know that is you're going to hear the language which you're comfortable in. So you'll be able to communicate also. And then again, it's going, it will be able to give you the response. And you so you'll be able to replicate that response in your own sound, in your own voice, that is. Uh, one thing that I see coming up uh, very much clearly is there's going to be less human to human interaction. Mm. Um, I was just reading recently that chat GPT, because, you know, I just mentioned that chat GPT has introduced this uh, provision of making your own chat GPTs. Most mm. of the people are making girlfriend chat GPTs. So, oh, really? Uh, yeah. So I, I, you know, I used to talk about in a very, uh, in a very ridiculous manner, I'm sorry, I must say to my students that, you know, there would be a time when you would be marrying robots, right? You wouldn't be marrying a normal human being because, you know, yeah. you're not, you won't be comfortable with normal human beings communication. And, you know, they used to laugh off at it. But now I'm seeing that coming. Because these girlfriend chat GPTs, with the with this emergence of girlfriend chat GPTs, we would have wife chat GPTs. So again, there would be no need of any you know human companionship. <laughs> right. So I, I see I see that coming very very quickly. <laughs> well, funnily enough, I don't know if you've come across this book. Uh, if you haven't, I really recommend it. It's it was published in 2021, so it predates this sort of explosion in generative AI but it's called 12 Bytes, and it's by a UK author called Jeanette Winterson. 
And okay. uh, it's all about um, the 12 essays that she's written looking at artificial intelligence, robotics, etc. And uh, in particular, drawing attention to the worrying aspect that it's very male-dominated. You were talking about girlfriends, for example, not boyfriends. <laughs> yes. um, and she actually has examples of of that happening. And I think, uh, if I remember rightly, there was an, a there's a case in Japan where um, a, a man actually went and married a kind of artificial human and that uh went ahead i think so oh, really? it's already happening <laughs> what you said is going oh, to happen has already happened i recommend that book because it, it's a real eye-opener okay. it it's interesting mm -hmm. from the point of view of also how uh the role of women in computer engineering and com computer development robotics and artificial in intelligence has been sidelined as well so i think you might find some interesting material there that you can use with your students right and the funny thing that i find out of this whole conversation is that females have always been taken as a glamorous object right mm. i'm sorry i'm using very harsh term for that uh, females have always been objectified so when I was talking to my students, again, I mentioned them, you know, even when you're going to have female robots, it's important that they should be look attractive, pleasing to the eyes. So that would be more competitive again, you know, who has got far more pleasing, who has far more beautiful female robot. So um, one more thing that I would like to add over here is I think the role of females would remain as objectification. I think that would not change. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, you know, crossing my fingers for that. I hope that changes also. Uh, but yes, and you know, this problem of racism and biasness in AI yes. tools, it needs to be there earlier, but now mm. they've started working on that. So now when you type anything related to racism or, you know, because earlier I was reading a research and uh, it, it stated that when you used to ask chat GPT, who is a better doctor, a male yeah. or a female, right? And it used to tell you a male doctor is much better. And this was because of biasness again, right? Yeah. And again, a very uh, popular example of racism was when you type whites are better than blacks, yes or no, it says yes. So, oh, you know, really? these kind of, yes, these kind of racism and biasness issues were there, but they're being taken care of now it, and working yes. on those areas. Yeah, so no, now these AI tools don't provide you with these kind of answers. Yeah, I think there's still bias. There's still stereotyping uh, that goes on, but it's definitely something that I see um, they've worked upon and they're making yes. changes, which is, which is a good thing. One of the essays in that book I mentioned by Janet Winderson is all about the kind of um, bias that um, exists within systems like that. Facial recognition, for example, there's been lots of sort of high profile cases about um, AI tools being used um, or not recognizing non-white faces, for example, things like that, which I think mm -hmm. is definitely, I think it's interesting that they've been, that these have been identified because that allows changes to be made. First of all, it has to be the case that that these things have been identified. With generative AI art as well, there's been a lot of uh, I'm quite interested in some of the uh, and follow some of the groups online that show that kind of thing. And the stereotyping is quite interesting. There's a lot of um, people who have put in, for example, to try and get images about particular nationalities or not nationalities, rather a typical scene in a particular country. And 
it's quite interesting to see what kind of stereotypical images you get uh, as a result of that, which doesn't reflect a kind of diversity that appears in most most countries these days. And AI tools have given a lot of way to deep fakes also. That's also a problematic area we need to look into it because uh, that, that's a complicated area. We haven't worked upon it yet. And because of that, there's a lot of yellow journalism around. So we need to look into that deep fake area too because it's, going, it's, it's becoming very popular nowadays. That brings things back to what you were saying about the, the need for teachers to embrace these tools, but to help students yes. use them critically, to be critical about yes. their use. And also to be critical, critical literacy, I think, digital literacy is so important these days to be able to to help students identify what's true and what's false and also to be able to distinguish between uh, what has been produced by a human and what has been produced by a machine and I think it's still possible to do that even though you were saying before that the plagiarism checkers these AI detectors don't work very well one of the things I was quite interested in was using ChatGPT to generate poetry because I thought it was an interesting area of being able to provide text for language learners, for example, very quickly that are quite, it's quite interesting to be able to look at rhyming poetry, etc. The more you use it, the more you realize the limitation of ChatGPT when it actually does produce poetry. And even if you ask it to produce poetry in the style of a particular poet, for example, it mm -hmm. ends up being easy to distinguish between texts that are written by real humans and artificial humans. Exactly. This, this is what I'm saying. You know, if, if somebody has used AI a lot uh, and he's pro in that, so that teacher, that educator would definitely be able to identify that this passage or this prose has been yeah. copied. So that, that's the only way. But that's, again, your sixth sense. Nothing else can make sure, can give you that guarantee that this passage has been copied, not even turn it in or not even yeah. any detector. That, that's but a hoax. It's not so much sixth sense. I think it's just being um, exposed to uh, examples, at least at the moment. Yeah. I'm sure that will change in the future. But for example, I went to a conference earlier in the year where in a workshop about the use of AI tools, we were given example text and asked to identify which was written by the tutor, uh, the presenter, and which was written by ChatGPT, and we found mm -hmm. it difficult to do so. And then okay. um, later in the year, in September or October, I think, I was at another conference where someone did the same exercise. And it was very, very easy to spot the difference. Very easy. <laughs> because you have gone through a lot of different examples by then, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, because there are certain exactly. traits that ChatGPT always uh, produce, yes. produces when it comes to generating text. So you can kind of start and, and, yes. identifying them. Yes, and also earlier when, you know, there were no policies for copying and plagiarizing stuff and uh, when you were giving free hand to the students to go to ChatGPT and discuss things, I was receiving assignments as it is like, you know, sorry, I'm an AI-generated tool, I cannot give you the answer, but I'll try my best. <laughs> so the students and the students weren't copy. even editing it. Yes, you know that's this. This has crazy. this has been the, like, so. This was one way I was able to identify. But that's you know people students have become more smart now. So they interestingly, my students were telling me ways how to beat plagiarism, AI plagiarism. So they oh, they are, really? they have become so smart now. Yes, <laughs> so they were giving me the ideas how to go by it. Yeah. So this is how you learn actually. <laughs> this is how we exchange yeah. information. <laughs> it's funny. Um, 
I've just um, completed uh, some exercises for a for a book that hopefully okay. will be published uh, later this year, or early next year. And one of the exercises was looking at trying to dis- create texts that were distinct that we, you could distinguish were AIs to try out these tools. And unfortunately, okay. I wrote some texts and then I generated some texts with ChatGPT to use examples in this uh, exercise. And the AI detectors couldn't distinguish that the texts I wrote uh, were created by a human, which yes. I think is, was a bit worrying because you can imagine a situation where a student actually writes a text and then a teacher accuses them of using generative AI to produce the text and that would be very frustrating for the student. Yes, there were so many cases like this earlier and you know now educators have become more welcoming towards this idea that yes AI detectors finally don't work up till now to date Mm. they don't work Um, in the future might be because of the learning that we are going to provide them but you know currently none of the AI detectors are uh, you know efficient enough to do that but it's good to see that you know educators are changing their mindset towards it. Because most of the students were, you know, they, they became uh, they became really depressed and they became patients because of this idea that, you know, they are being uh, accused of plagiarism and cheating, although they were brilliant students. Of course. So listen, Sadia, we're coming to the end of an hour and a half. Um, I feel I could talk to you uh, for hours and hours about this and we would Same still here. have lots to I'm talk feeling about. So bad about it. It? <laughs> I'm feeling so bad about it. But uh, <laughs> we're going to have to... Um, to uh, bring things to a close. So I'd just like to thank you so much for joining me. I really enjoyed talking to you and hearing about your experience. My pleasure. And I look forward to seeing the policy guidelines that UNESCO uh, going to bring out in April that you've been working on. That's yes. uh, sounds like a very useful, much needed document. Right. And what I'll be doing is I'll be sharing with you a different kind of you know rubrics and assessments also that you know that will help you to get a more clearer picture of how you know student or teachers are using AI in their uh, generative assessments or you know any kind of assessment that they are doing. So I'll be sharing those uh, documents also with you. Fantastic. So it just remains to say thank you very, very much. And um, I'd love to speak to you again sometime in the future when things are, are have moved on and we can revisit this talk maybe. For sure, for sure. My pleasure. Anytime. Excellent. Thanks very much, Sadia. Thank you very much once again. And see you in the future. Take care. Stay blessed. And thank you once again for giving me this opportunity to talk to you and talk to all the educators worldwide. Thank you very much once again. A pleasure. Thank you. Bet UK is just two weeks away. Are you ready to join 30,000 attendees, 600 plus exhibitors on seven content stages from 120 countries and see Louis Theroux, Dame Darcy Bustle, Jason Arde, Laura Carner, Baroness Luella Benjamin, Dan Fitzpatrick, Mr. POCT and so much more. I might need to bring my trainers. The best part? Educators go free. Get your ticket now at uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR. 2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading.
Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit eatonx.com to find out more. So that brings us to the end of today's Twilight Show. Many thanks to today's special guest, Sadia Gundal, which was, it was fascinating to talk to Sadia about her experience of teaching with uh, AI tools. And thanks also to all of you who joined us live today. A special thanks to those of you who are listening back to the recording, of course, as well. And so that's it from me. And there are Teachers Talk radio shows all week on all manner of interesting topics. So please listen in live or to the recordings. And I hope you will join me again next week at the same time. Bye for now. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.